Welcome to Innovative Legal Leadership, the podcast where you'll hear from the world's most innovative general counsel and their leadership teams for their insights into the running of a Fortune 500 in-house legal department. The challenges, the wins, the roadblocks, the journey to date, and most importantly, what lies ahead. Let's get into the show. Hello, listeners. A bit of a special treat for this episode. As you all know, typically we'll be interviewing general counsels of Fortune 500 companies or otherwise senior legal legal operators within the in-house team. We don't have too many interviews with law firm partners, but in this case, it's Demetrio Zima that we're interviewing, the founder of a law firm called Law Squared, an innovative law firm. Um, I actually think Demetrio and myself uh, and people at Pursuit, we're kind of kindred spirits because Demetriou um, set up Law Squared um, as we think it might be one of the only law firms that does not record time. Um, Everything is by reference to um, delivering outcomes and valuing those outcomes. So no time recording. How about that? Credit to him. He started Law Squared In fact, at the same time um, uh, we started Pursuit, and he was only 28 years old. So he's definitely a man on a mission, and kudos to him because he's looking to change the industry much in the same way as Pursuit is looking to change the industry. So, look, it's a fascinating discussion, and I'm sure it's something different. I'm sure something you're each going to enjoy. So in the usual fashion, sit back chillax and enjoy the episode. Demetrio Zima, welcome to the show. It's fantastic to have you on board. I can't wait for the audience to hear all about the Demetrio Zima story. Thanks, Jim. It's great to be here. Looking forward to having a chat with you as well. Yep. So let's set the scene. Tell us a little bit about yourself and tell us how you came to found Law Squared Law Squared, we are six, seven years old now. Um, so we launched in uh, March of 2016. March of 2016. So yeah. a date which is very dear to my heart, that's when I launched Pursuit. How about that? Can, can I set the scene a little bit? Because you sent me an email. I'm going to read it out, Dimitri, um, when you reached out to me. You said, we believe we are the only law firm, 30 plus people, that does not record time. Yes, no lawyers within our firm record biddable units or have individual financial targets. Now, you you know the way to my heart, don't you, Dimitri? Because you absolutely nailed it when you sent me that email. And I thought to myself, we've got to have Dimitri. (laughs) We've got to have Dimitri on the show. So tell us about that, because that certainly did pique my interest. Yeah, absolutely. That probably helps to kind of, like I said, set the scene in terms of my own experience. So, yeah, please. Insurance litigation background. Um, you know, I was an insurance litigator at two um, law firms here in Melbourne uh, for about six years uh, in total across those two firms. And look, fair to say, I was pretty disgruntled, uh, pretty unhappy, pretty worn out. Um, the nature of, particularly insurance litigation, is often high volume work, um, and it becomes a you know, very exhausting task. And you know, the stats of lawyers leaving the profession. I don't need to. Yeah. tell your community about how yeah. high that is and the rates of uh, issues we have in terms of mental health and challenges, et cetera. Um, and it probably was around July of 2015 where, um, you know, I got a promotion, was pretty happy with myself. I was exhausted and I had particularly a client 
And so, you know, kind of January, sorry, July rolls around and um, she gives me a call and she says, look, just between you and I, she said, you know, love you, love working with you. She said, you're $100 an hour more. Is there a reason for that? And I was like... $100 an hour more than... More oh, than oh, I was. So, of course, more because one, one July had just clicked One around. July, yeah. correct. One July come around, I got my promotion, got my pay rise, but equally with that, my charge out rate went up. Of course it did, yep. And she said, you know, I love you, you're great, but you're $100 an hour more. Is there a reason for that? And to be honest, in my, like, I didn't know how to respond to that. And it kind of really like, why is this so? Like, why do we exist in this environment where... Yes, I'm a good lawyer. Yes, I'm doing good work. But this isn't about client outcomes. This is about me hitting financial targets to fulfill my own aspirations, often at the disadvantage of others. Yep. And it kind of got me thinking about why isn't there a different model out there? You know, why is it that we all subscribe to the partnership model? Why is it that we have this pyramid that ultimately 60 start, one or two end up at the top? Yeah. And why do we lose so many lawyers in the profession as a result? And so... I kind of went on this journey of looking about what other models were out there. The incorporated legal practice model was still a very new one. Um, and often there are you know, tax benefits, et cetera, for the reason why we do that and law firm ownership rules, which we won't go through. Um, but we now have this model which was allowed. And it's like, well, why is nobody really moving away from the partnership model? Why is nobody moving away from the billable hour, which seems to be the banes of existence? If we think of all the jokes that people have about lawyers, you know, it's yep. always about money. It's always about greed um, yep. and Anyway, so I was on this resolve that I wanted to change the conversation that people have about lawyers. And so how are we going to do that? And so I thought, well, the only way to do that is to try and start your own law firm that will allow you to do that. So I finished up my role in uh, end of uh, December, sorry, end of 2015, and spent a few weeks in Bali, actually, in uh, early 2016. Um, and I just put together a business plan. And I thought, if I'm going to start again from scratch, taking out all those traditional norms, building a law firm that I think is future-proof, um, what does it look like? And I spent yep. quite uh, six weeks in total uh, across building what I thought that looked like. Um, and then on the 1st of March, effectively launched Law Squared. So what are we, seven years now yep. coming in to um, that fruition, our seventh birthday in uh, about a month's time. We have gone from a firm of one person <laughs> to a team of 40 across Melbourne, Sydney, Brisbane and London. Um, and yeah, like I said in my email, I think... And not something that I'm proud of, I wish there was more, but from all of our research, we're the only firm globally of our size that have no time as a metric of performance and or billing across oh, all of our practice. Yeah, so I'm going to double click into that. And by the way, just think, if you're wrong, I bet you we will hear about it. Um, yeah, I, I would love to be wrong. And this is the thing. I would love yeah. to be wrong because yeah. what it would show is that there are others actively yeah. trying to change this. And I yeah. know that there are smaller firms, one or two, yeah. three, five teams, with, yeah. they can do it. But it gets harder when you get to scale of the size we are. And we're still small in the scheme of things. Yeah. And I wish there were more. And I hope there are more. Please, we'll, we'll it find out. Great. Our, yeah, I hope there are more. Our, so tell us, tell us about that. Let's do a bit of a deeper dive. What are the fundamental, yeah, if you like, philosophies, the pillars? How have you set up the business model? In a way, which ultimately it has to be profitable, be able to attract talent, not only because of your, the way of working philosophy, but it's got to be competitive. So tell me about the fundamentals to the extent that you can share. Um, how does the business model work? I'm probably too transparent sometimes <laughs> because I do want others to adopt a model. So yep. um, 
we, like I said, an incorporated legal practice model, we effectively are a business that delivers legal services. So we put in place business structures. You know, we're, you know, effectively I play the role of a CEO. Um, we have an operations team, which has a COO, and we effectively have five business units. Um, yep. So in the traditional sense, we have four fee-earning teams and one non-fee-earning team, but they're not language that we use within the business. Yep. Um, we don't believe in that traditional kind of subscription that, fee earners are better than non-fee earners and we yep. don't subscribe to the notion. But often to those who are trying to get their head around our model, it is a better way to try and describe it for yep. better or for worse. Um, so we have a commercial team, a corporate team, an employment team and a litigation team. Um, we then have a really strong operations team, which really is the backbone of our business. Um, within that um, operations team, we also have a digital innovation team. Um, that is a, effectively a consultancy services for in-house counsel teams around legal technology, legal operations, right. and helping them adopt technologies or you know break through all the noise that is in the market in terms of legal tech and legal operations at the moment. We don't have a partnership model, which means that we are no um, traditional titles in the business. So no partners, senior associates, associates, lawyers. We have descriptive lawyers. So you're a corporate lawyer, you're an employment workplace relations lawyer, you're a commercial lawyer, or you're a privacy lawyer. Yep. And again, come back to the notion that clients want to focus on an outcome. Clients will come to a firm that they believe that they can trust. They have the right skill sets and experience to deliver an outcome that they are looking for. We are fortunate to largely work with corporate clients. Um, 95% of our work comes direct from in-house counsel teams or executives. Um, and therefore, they are often sophisticated. They're the ones that are holders of strong legal budgets. And they're yep. actively looking for alternatives, as much as they hate that word, in the market because they want cost certainty. And yep. no doubt we can go through all the kind of cost pressures, et cetera, that people are facing at the moment. So if we just stand on that structure for a bit, each team is a cluster. And so why we refer to them as a cluster is what's important is about bringing different skills and experiences together to effectively work collaboratively to achieve a client outcome. Unlike every other law firm that we know, hoping to be proved wrong, yep. we don't have individual budgets, which therefore mean that the team need to rely on each other to fulfill a team-based budget or a yep. firm-based budget and therefore deliver client outcomes. If we think about some of the biggest challenges that people have being a lawyer or why we lose so many lawyers, from, particularly from private practice, we lose them because of often financial pressures, budgetary pressures, the competitiveness Yep. and the lack of collaboration. And so it's always about running your own race within yep. a bigger firm to make sure you can get to a certain point of success, whatever success may mean to that individual. That is to the demise of others. Right? So you and I, Jim, may become grads, but we know based on the pyramid, it's highly unlikely we're both going to become partners. Correct. And if we do, that's at the expense of all the other grads because if it goes down the chain, I'm going to be better than you. And we know that it's my balance sheet against yours, which will ultimately make me a bigger part of an equity partner than you. Good or bad, that's just a reality. Um, and so we truly believe that we need to unsubscribe from that model. We need to foster and create a culture of collaboration, close on client outcomes, build good environments, good cultures, all those things that law firms talk about that they want, but we know that the business model and the revenue model fundamentally doesn't allow that to occur. Kudos to you. Dimitri, I mean, th th this is, a, and you will know, this is a fundamental philosophy as to why we, Pursuit exists, yeah. to change the narrative and change the way lawyers work so that 
they're able to focus on outcomes and value rather than input effort time. Um, why, why is it so hard? Why is there just law squared or perhaps some unknown other? Why, why is it so hard? Tell me. Yeah, I don't know. It's a, it, I ask that question of myself a lot, um, and it's why I, you know, whenever I'm asked these questions around, you know, why are the only one? I think because we've been brave enough to break away from the traditional model and we don't have a finance-first focus. And, and like you said, profitability is important. Yep. You know, making sure that you are sustainable is important. We stand for three things as a business, and I'm going to run through them quickly. One is to change the conversation that people have about lawyers. Two is to create a culture and environment for lawyers that I personally never got to experience and one that I want to be unparalleled to any other law firm in the world. And three is to build deep relationship with our clients so that our clients become our friends. There's a really interesting um, kind of philosophy, which is businesses don't exist to make money. Businesses exist to create change or to have impact and money will follow. And I'm a big believer of that. And I think our philosophy as a business is very clear as a result of that. Do you make more money in a traditional law firm? Sure, of course you do. But at what expense? At the expense of culture, at the expense of collaboration, at the expense of long-term relationship with your clients, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Um, why are we the only ones? I think because the partnership model is so entrained and so entrenched that it makes it difficult for lawyers to break out of it. Because there are very few new law firms, alternative law firms, whatever catchphrase you want to add to it, it means that there is still ambiguity in the market about what it really means. Lawyers, by their nature, are very risk adverse. And so in order to leave a very comfortable you know, job, if you like, so you may be unhappy or disgruntled, but you're a salary partner, you're you know, senior associate, and you've you're got being the mortgage, you've got, you've, there, you've got the just kids, going. The kids in school. you've got a mortgage, <laughs> you've got kids, you've got school yeah. fees. Like, oh, do I really want to leave this job where, yes, I'm not necessarily as happy as I can be, but I know it's a salary, I know it's safe, I'm unlikely to be removed to join a new law firm, what does that mean? I think, you know, we are now seven years old. We have strong credibility, not only in Australia, but globally in terms of what we do. And as we continue to build that reputation, and as I hope other law firms subscribe to this notion, this model, um, then it brings greater credibility. And with that, of course, less risk for the lawyers to take, risk in quotation marks, because I don't believe it is a risk when you look at our client base, very healthy corporate client base, who are actively choosing to redirect their legal spend away from traditional law firms. I think that's the kicker, right? And I know this is what you stand for very wholeheartedly, which is how do you reward good behavior? And you reward good behavior by ensuring that if your experience as a lawyer, when you were in private practice, isn't mirrored by those that you are now briefing. And this is one of my biggest cash cries when I speak to the in-house counsel teams, because they go, oh, well, we brief X because they're the experts. Like, are they the experts because you continue to allow them to be the experts by in terms of rewarding that good behavior? And this is not to say that all law firms are bad and all cultures are bad, but the stats speak for themselves. Way before I was a lawyer, way before you were a lawyer, about the negative mental health issues, the negatives around the structure and the way in which people become disenfranchised, leave the profession. And so how do we stop that? And ultimately, we need those who have the bigger legal budgets, which are the corporate clients, to actively look for alternatives, as much as I hate that word, or different options in the market to redirect their spend to. And we are, like I said, from what we can see, the only and the biggest that have this true leave the model out, start again model, which means that clients now, because of our size, because of our experience and our skill set and our client base, 
can start to actively look to us as somebody to redirect that spend to. And it's a really powerful and pivotal moment that we're in at the moment over the next couple of years and have been to get here. But again, like we said, we need more law firms to kind of be able to subscribe to this model. It is going to take you know this generation, I think, to change the way in which they subscribe to the partnership model. But we are going to have to see some more success stories in order for it to continually be seen as yeah. viable as well. Yeah, yeah. Um, one thing I say, um, and sometimes uh, I, I say this to be deliberately a little bit controversial when um, I've said this a couple of times at conferences, um, when there's a room full of general counsel. And I say that the responsibility to change the narrative and change the way the legal industry works rests 100% on the general counsel and the in-house legal teams because unless it's demand-driven and the demand obviously comes from the in-house teams, then there is no reason why the law firms will adopt different models. So the insistence, whether it's to direct work to firms that have embraced alternative fee arrangements or whether it's to um, uh, behave in a way that you only brief on the basis of an alternative fee arrangement. So you, you know, we talk about building a muscle um, around how to scope work, understand what the outcomes are, and um, put together essentially an arrangement or a scope where everyone is clear on those outcomes, and those are, and it's priced in that way. So it's not priced by reference to effort and time, but it's got to be demand driven. It has to be, um, it has to come from the, from the general councils and their, and their yeah. in-house legal teams. Yeah. And they're the ones with the big, they're the ones with the budgets, right? Which Correct. is why we say they're, they're the buyers. core group who can actively change this model. But, you know, I take it one step further, Jim, which is it's not only alternative fee arrangements or fixed fee arrangements, it's actually rewarding cultural behaviors. Yeah. Because yeah. we think about the first proposition of Law Square, which is to change the conversation people have about lawyers. Not only are lawyers known for all the negative financial pieces, it's also known for all the ego pieces, all the negative cultures. And so what we need legal teams to actively do is scout the market and say, who are the lawyers that are not only going to help us achieve our objectives as a business, but also how do we play an important role yeah. in changing the culture, changing the expectations of law firms, so that in the future, we don't have this attrition issue that we currently have amongst law graduates. I get it. It sounds utopian. There's enough traditional law firm partners who roll their eyes at me every time I say something like this, which is fine. But ultimately, it's part of that generation who have effectively put us in this position that we are, where we have lawyers like yourself and I who have left those traditional law firms because of those experiences. And what we want to do is not only make it better for future generations, but also we want to show the client that there is other options on the market. And it's up for the yep. client, like you said, to consider what those options are and how they want to engage with it. Price being one of those elements, but not the only element. I also then say from that alternative fee arrangement, in an environment where you still have law firms measuring their lawyers based on the input of time yep. to determine profitability of that fixed fee arrangement, it's a flawed model. You, you very graciously put me into your camp, but I have to tell you that I was... A I have to confess that I was a beneficiary, a long-time beneficiary yeah. you know, of the current model, certainly you know, devoting myself now to change that narrative mm. and change that, yeah. that behaviour. Dimitri, tell me some of the 
what are some of the surprises, perhaps good and bad, that you didn't anticipate when you first started on this journey um, that, that you're prepared to share with us? Yeah, um, probably the resistance, to be honest. Um, the resistance has surprised me, even to this day, the resistance from lawyers and clients alike sometimes. And when I say clients, often that pre-client list, the yeah. The belief that there can't be a different model, way. the belief yeah. that a, a different model can't work, um, that has surprised me. And despite me like, here are our credential, here are our people, here's yeah. all the work that we do. This works. This is why it works. It's like, oh, how do we compare you against, you know, a proposal oh. we got from another law firm? It's like, you have to throw that out the window and start again. Yeah. So that has really surprised me. Um, the other thing that has surprised me, particularly in the last couple of years post-COVID, is that legal teams are getting more progressive in the way in which they want to brief or engage with external, procurement teams are not. And so there is a big challenge between procurement and legal, which I'm finding really interesting and surprising at the moment. The risk aversion of lawyers continues to this day to absolutely surprise me. The embeddedness of the promise of partnership or the promise of promotion and what that does to someone emotionally, mentally, psychologically, to keep them in a job that they bitterly are unhappy with, that really surprises me. And not only because I want them to come to me, but because I want them to have happy careers, happy enjoyments and happy reflections of their work to make them a better person, a better parent, a better friend, et cetera. That really surprises me. And I think that actually probably is the thing that saddens me the most, where we have this kind of cultural acceptance as lawyers that we are meant to work super hard, are meant to be in not great cultures, are meant to have this resentment attrition with our junior lawyers. Um, that surprises me and, and the inability to break away from that um, is upsetting yeah. and it is changing, which is positive, but it is upsetting. Ch- change, um, change is hard. Change is hard, whether it's at the personal level, whether it's broader. Um, uh, yeah, and it, it doesn't happen overnight. You will have seen now, you're kind of, kind of seven years into the business, um, change is hard. It takes time. Um, and um, uh, it's challenging. Um, I, I would, I mean, kudos to you for taking the plunge, certainly getting this far and having a team of 40 on a model um, uh, which is unique and has the kind of um, the cultural values that you're talking about, which I think. You know, I, I, I certainly wish uh, more law firms and lawyers aspired to, mm. but it's hard. And, and I'm resigned to the fact, Demetri, it's not going to happen overnight. But the warriors have got to be fearless and they've mm. got to be out there um, yeah. uh, uh, each day. I, agree that. Also, I think it's about accepting that some clients don't want it to change and that's okay. And some law firms don't want it to change and that's also okay. So I'm not a subscriber, which is throw it all out, you know, start again. It's like there needs to be a choice, you know. And so so long as the market is offering true choice, then let the consumer decide. There will always be a world where traditional top tier branded name lawyer and law firm is wanted and desired and expected by a board, by an executive group. Fine. But it doesn't need to be for 90% of the work, right? We know that there is 10, 15, maybe 20% of highly critical, highly risk, high specialized work that does and should go to those law firms, absolutely embrace it, support it, let me help brief them, let me help go through that journey with them because that's where it should go. But there is a vast majority of work that fundamentally doesn't need to sit there. And so it's about how do you make sure the client is aware of the options in the market for it to engage with 
I think that's why it's exciting and a good value proposition for firms like ours to exist and say, great, use firm A for this type of work, but also don't use them for this type of work and consider redirecting that spend to a firm like ours. Yeah. Tell me how, tell me about the recruitment pitch. Um, how does it help? Um, because it's a, it's a unique pitch. So I, I'd love to hear it. I'd love to hear from you. What's the reaction and what kind of people get attracted to Law Squared? Yeah. I think we fall in that unique spot where lawyers often that are interviewing with us or that we speak to are pretty burnt out. They're pretty exhausted and they've often made the decision that they want to either leave private practice or leave the profession. And then they know of or hear of us and therefore are open to a conversation with us. Because of our no title, no traditional hierarchy model, it means there is a certain type of lawyer that just fundamentally isn't interested in us. Yep. But equally, we're not interested in them. Yep. So somebody who is interested in, I've got a million dollar balance sheet that I want to bring across to you. What is that worth to you? That's very kind. That's very good. Well done. That <laughs> uh, You should be proud of that. That's a big achievement. But I'm yep. not interested in that balance sheet. I'm not interested in that book. I'm yep. not interested in you continuing to grow that because you will foster a culture of ego, which isn't relevant in our business. Yep. So. We are already unique in that the number of lawyers interested in us is tiny, right? Yep. Because, yep. again, lawyers are so subscribed to this model, yeah. of traditional model, if you like, that if they are on this partnership and they believe that that partnership is important to them, then great. And it's not for me to say that it's not right, right? Ultimately, people need to fulfill their own um, desires and dreams and hit the status that they want in their careers and in their lives. And, again, I'm really supportive of that, which is why I truly believe that there is always a space for a traditional warfare model. But there is a lawyer, and I'm going to say it's probably the majority of lawyer who just wants a good environment, a good culture, good work, good clients, good team, and they want to be accurately financially remunerated for that. Whether their title is partner, senior counsel, lawyer, senior associate, you know, um, it doesn't matter. They just want those five characteristics. And if you can give them that in the environment, then that's what they're attracted to. And whilst there's some scepticism, if you can show them and put them in front of other people who have experienced that, then you have some success. So we have success at that point where people are often ready to leave private practice um, and want to go in-house or they go into a government role or to a policy role. And at that point, they're not worried about title, right? Because they'll become a legal counsel in an in-house role or they'll become a policy person or whatever it might be. So title is not an issue. So great, it means they don't have the ego associated with the title as well. it also means that they're not worried about client possessiveness, you know, like this is my client, etc. So again, great. Um, that fits the mold for us as well. Where we have struggled, um, you know, if we go back to some of the challenges, is we have very senior lawyers who are at partner level, but are disenfranchised, but struggle to let go of some of those kind of entitlements that they have and just the environments that they've worked in. As you said before, change and changing of behaviours are exhausting. Um, we are very open about calling it the unlearning process. That unlearning process in our firm can take up to 12 months and sometimes longer. And we'll make the investment, but equally that senior person needs to make the investment in unlearning as well. We've been very successful in having a number of senior appointments, but they have given me the commitment and I've given it to them. I'm going to help you unlearn. And again, I don't mean that in any condescending way, but actually I want you to... St- drip back all the things that law firms teach you are the measures of success and come back to how am I going to create a happy environment for myself, a happy environment for my team, a happy environment for my clients. And that's, I think, gives us a uniqueness in terms of who is attracted to us. Um, 
it's always those that come direct or that we approach. We don't have a whole lot of successful recruiting firms. And I think the reason for that is because they fail to understand our model. It is easier and cheaper for them to just put a lateral hire. So take somebody from a mid-tier firm, put them in another mid-tier firm and sell them a different you know, partner dream. Um, but also they would just automatically just people who are different, you know, in quotation marks, they'll just send them our way. So somebody who has clearly just not interested anymore or is not getting traction anywhere else, you know, I often get an email from a recruiter saying, oh, this person has a bit of an interesting career. Yeah. I thought you might be interested <laughs> in it. You know. So well, they just well, don't Dimitri, take it seriously. Uh, Dimitri, I have another misfit for you. Is that is all, is that what they're really calling Yeah, them? I have another misfit. <laughs> I can't place them anywhere else. So you might be interested in them. Um, so, so I think, Jim, we're in a unique position yep. whereby our talent pool is small because of all those characteristics, but it often means that the people who do come to us are genuine um, and are really interested in our model, yep. and therefore it makes it a much easier recruitment process. Well, you must it also be, makes it easier to exclude people as well. Yeah. yeah. Now, now, I should say, you, you must be doing, you're certainly doing something right, not only by reference to the success, but, but I'm personally, and Pursuit is personally, of course, as you'll know, a beneficiary of one of the early starters, Laura Spaulding, who used to be with you. When she told me, I'm not sure if you heard Laura's um, episode, only a few weeks it did, ago. It did, it did. You did. Okay. So you would have heard the story um, yeah. about when Laura first interviewed with me and I said, oh, Laura, I don't think it's going to work. And uh, I don't know what this Law Squared firm is about. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. you know? And, and, it, and I, I, I called out uh, in the intro to that episode that um, that was temporarily the worst decision I'd ever made and reversing mm -hmm. that was the best decision because Laura's yeah. been an absolute star here um, mm, leading yeah, the legal advisory team. So um, so yeah. you must be doing something right. And I've been the beneficiary. <laughs> um, yeah. a, a, I think it shows that. when you trust your people, you empower your people, you don't micromanage them. You know, and you know, Laura shared like, you know, she approached me one day and said, I want to move to New York. And I was like, sure, go. Like, let's just see if this works. You know, like, and that was my approach. And, you know, she said that openly and, you know, I, and I said, just see what happens. And again, when you have a good person in the business, you want to see them succeed and um, support them in doing so. I'm also one, Jim, who subscribes to the idea that lawyers aren't going to stick around forever. Like gone are the days where we give 10, 20, 30 years of service to a law firm. So my team and I, I'm very open. And Laura um, has said this before as well. Like I have one more with my team, which is I'll give you 100% of me. You give me 100% of you while you're here. While you're here, like I'm not expecting you to be here forever, but I want 100% of you while you're here and I'll give you the same. Um, and I think that just means it's very open and you have a very clear relationship with your team that is one, again, founded on trust and respect. And again, so someone as a lawyer will be like, off you go. Like I trust and respect you 100%. And if this doesn't work for whatever reason, we have the relationship where we can have the conversation and say, hey, time zones aren't working or work, whatever it might be. You've got to trust that and you've got to be able to kind of support and back in your people Hundred percent. I think the traditional model doesn't allow that to occur because of its remuneration model, right? Um, but again, I'm a big believer in just being honest about the way business runs and where, the way in which lawyers will come in and out of the profession and in and out of roles. And again, if we're trying to offer a different alternative, we need to also offer a different management style around that. Be very clear and upfront and transparent with the team around the expectations that we have of them, but similarly the expectations that they have of us because we do have a generation now who expect so much more from their leadership than what you, certainly you yeah. and certainly me, you know, yeah. kind of years after, so. yeah. expected from our leaders. 
Dimitri, let me um, let me close out with some of my favourite questions. How old were you in 2016 when you started Law Squared? 28. 28. Okay, so seven years later, the hardest thing, tell me about, apart from the change, the resistance change, what, <laughs> yeah. what's, what's been the hardest thing about going out and starting your own law firm? I think the pushback has been the hardest, to be honest. Um, I think the continual having to prove yourself and your model um, and convince people that this is a better way. And, and I liken it to somebody, you know, and you, we all see the memes of, you know, like somebody who loves to go to the gym and they're eating chicken and broccoli out of a Tupperware container. And people always say, like, oh, you're always, you know, why are you eating chicken and broccoli? But if you had a bag of McDonald's in front of you, nobody's yeah. asking you why you're eating McDonald's, right? Yeah. And, and it's a similar kind of notion whereby somebody who's trying to do the right thing, put themselves first, eat healthily, they get judged by other people and they get questions about it. For somebody who's doing the status quo of eating McDonald's, nobody's asking a question. And that's honestly how I feel most days. Yep. Like yep. I'm the guy eating chicken and broccoli every <laughs> single day. <laughs> I like that. I like that. And what I have is just people like, oh, why are you doing that? Yeah. Why are you doing that? Oh, that, you know, like that doesn't work. Oh, that's a bro diet. You know, it, 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 the dumb analogy, but it, it is a clear one. And I think hopefully resonate with people listening. Just that's often the biggest challenge, which is yeah. you feel like you're consistently having to justify yourself and say, seven years later, we're still growing. We're getting, you know, household brand name clients that continue to grow and be our balance sheet, yet still not perceived by some people as viable, as credible, still seen as risky, still seen as an alternative, all those kind of things. Yeah, I yeah. would say that's by far the hardest thing. I, I talk about, um, I reckon, starting it any business, certainly for me, um, uh, starting Pursuit, those early years, that's mm. the hardest thing I've ever done. And and, mm. and the the lows, I think, in starting a business are much lower than, let's say, as being an employee. But, and I'm going to ask you this question, mm. are the highs much higher that you've experienced before having started Law Squared? Yeah, definitely. I mean, yeah. I say to people who want to start their own business, unless you're okay with high-fiving yourself at 3 a.m. in the morning by yourself, don't start a business. Um, <laughs> yeah, the highs are high. And I think where I get the kind of really strong highs are seeing my team succeed and seeing them flourish in a model that I know they haven't flourished in other models. And there's certainly kind of mid-band lawyer who has been really burnt, you know. The second thing that probably brings me joy is seeing the referrals from existing in-house counsel teams to other in-house counsel teams saying, hey, give these guys yep. uh, a go. Yep. And that's not being like, oh, how great are we? It kind of shows that, you know, there is confidence in the model from the client. And that's ultimately where it needs to come from. So you're right, the highs are high, but geez, there's more lows and highs in this game. <laughs> yep. Particularly when you are, you know, I'm a solo founder. That's the other, like, you know, there's, it's just me. I'm very lucky. You've got a strong team around me. Have yep. a really great advisory board in our business. You know, I treat them like a board. We meet every six weeks. They're five independent board members. Um, yeah, it's a tough bloody game. And I've committed, you know, seven years of my life and given up a lot to kind of really pursue what some will say is a utopian version of the yeah. world. Yeah. But I think is a really achievable one. Yeah. Um, now, Dimitri, I usually ask what advice would you give your 25-year-old self? But I'm not going to ask you that. You're still too close to that age. <laughs> so I'm going to round yeah. that with my last question. Uh, what keeps you up at night now? What keeps me up at night is, I think, just that continual push, you know, right. um, and it's how do we 
just continue to get in front of the right people and convince them that there is a true alternative. Um, the other thing that keeps me up at night, and I'm really bad at this, is just consistently checking my emails. Now that we have a UK team, it means that there are emails that do not stop. There's yeah. actually no downtime. Uh, and Australia and the UK are 11 hours yeah. apart at the moment, which means you effectively have an Australian team of clients and team emailing you during the day, and then a UK team and clients emailing you at night. So my email and my um, emotional attachment to my phone yep. Probably yep. means that that keeps me up more at night than uh, than anything else. Yeah, no, not to, and um, I'm not sure, as a founder, Dimitri, I'm not sure that's going to um, change, certainly anytime soon. So yeah. Dimitri Ozema, Thank you so much for joining me. It's been an absolute blast. This is pretty a pretty unique episode. I'm not sure I've actually had. I certainly haven't had a founding partner of a law firm. So thank you so much. Thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. Thanks for your time. Thank you, listeners, for tuning into the show. For more, please subscribe to the show in your favourite podcast player. If you or someone you know would make a great guest on the show, please connect with me, Jim, the host of the show, via email, jim at pursuit.com. P-E-R-S-U-I-T dot com. We'd love to hear from you.